Now, as you know, I've been dealing with a message series called Dealing with Being Offended. Now, I want to know, honestly, were any of you offended in any way this past week? Okay, there, there's a few of you. Others of you, you're, you're at the status I need to get to because I'm, I'm still battling with offense. I told them here on Wednesday night, uh, last weekend, we were in L.A. On the way up, I got offended on the 405. It's Carmageddon. The 405 is Carmageddon. And, and I got offended, not just at the drivers, I got offended at my wife. She was in charge of directing me through the Waze app, right? Well, unbeknownst to me, the Waze app was delaying. And so I missed turns, and I'm like, well, how come you didn't tell me after I would hear it on the Waze app? She said, well, because it didn't tell me. But I was blaming her. And only by the grace of God did we make it through that weekend without separating. We're, and I'm grateful to tell you we're still together. Praise God. Yeah, right, Tom in color. No, 405 going to separate me and my honey. Because if she leaves, I follow. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to share with you today, as we continue this series, dealing with being offended, a truth that we know to be so. We live in a time in our society when it is almost a hobby to be offended. Every news commentary show seems to have blowhards on opposite sides of the issue, just waiting to be personally offended at what the other person says. Our politicians are at loggerheads because everyone on one side of the aisle has either offended or been offended by somebody on the other side of the aisle. Even in our churches, we are not immune from the disease of easily offenditis. Huh. Even in our churches, someone sits in our chair. Nobody calls when we missed a Sunday. The church talks about money too much. The pastor's wife won't help in this or that. The sermons are too long, too boring, too convicting, too personal, too irreverent, too fill in the blank. You name it. Someone's gotten offended by it. And probably started another church down the street because of it. Let me tell you, here in Dinuba, it has happened. I know. Like, whoa, we got, yeah, that one got, all right. So offense is prevalent. Offense is prevalent in our society. Now, as we're continuing today with our Dealing with Being Offended series, I want to address the issue of being offended at God. Yes, you heard me right. Being offended at God or with God. In fact, when you study the Bible, you discover several accounts that reveal individuals who basically were offended at the Lord. And today I want to look at two, two reasons why I can become offended at the Lord. First reason, sometimes I become offended 
Because the Lord doesn't do for me what He's doing for someone else. Sometimes I become offended with the Lord because the Lord doesn't do for me what He's doing for someone else. The Bible tells us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6, and I'm reading out of the New King James. Matthew 11, 1 through 6 says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding His twelve disciples, that He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, Jesus quoted from Isaiah's prophecy regarding the Messiah. He quoted from Isaiah 35, as well as a portion from Isaiah 61. But then after he quoted from Isaiah, then he added a PS, a postscript, specifically, I believe, for John. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And what's interesting, the scripture tells us that John heard in prison the works that Jesus were doing. And when you look at the works that Jesus were doing and what Jesus said from Isaiah, they matched up. And yet John had the nerve to ask, are you the Messiah or do we wait for another? Why? Well, this past Thursday at my, the Thursday guys gathering at Brick and Stone, they owe me 10% for that right there. Just right there, that mention. 10%. Send me your tithe. Where, where, there, there, yeah. Um, as I met with certain pastors, one pastor, because we regularly ask each other, what are you preaching on this upcoming Sunday? And I shared what I was going to preach on with Pastor Chuck, who pastors right down the road here at Foursquare Church. And then he shared with me, he says, I don't know if this will fit in your message, but he said, I heard this from another preacher. He said that uh, this preacher pointed out that when Jesus quoted from Isaiah, he left out certain portions of what Isaiah said. And he says, what's interesting is he left out the portion of the Messiah exercising the vengeance of the Lord and also the portion of the Messiah opening prison doors. In other words, he left out the portions that would have benefited John's situation. And it helps give us understanding why John was offended at the Lord. Because John was like, if he's the Messiah, not only is he to heal the blind and cause the lame to walk and the deaf to hear, but he's also the one that is going to exercise the vengeance of God and overthrow the current government and set prisoners free. But Jesus didn't quote those portions as if to imply, John, I'm not here yet to fulfill those parts of the prophecy. And this is why we can get offended at God. Why? Because we are holding on to a promise that we're expecting Him to fulfill. And if He's not fulfilling that promise, we become offended. 
we become to, uh, uh, we become vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. Does it, God doesn't care for you because if he did, he would be doing this for you. Not understanding that while he may not be fulfilling that one promise, there are thousands of other promises of God that are in the scripture. And there are hundreds and thousands possibly of other promises that he is fulfilling in your situation, even though he's not bringing you out. And I want to be clear here today, because as I've mentioned previously in other messages, the the promise of God is not only to deliver you and me out of circumstances, it's also sometimes to deliver us in circumstances. God is sovereign and sometimes in His wisdom, He chooses to employ the exercise of His will and, and ways and ways that we don't appease to our desire and what we're claiming for. But I want to remind you that if you're still here, it's maybe God hasn't yet supplied your need. Maybe God hasn't healed your body. Maybe God hasn't turned it around for you at your workplace where you're dealing with somebody that's continually pestering you and seeming to be against you. But I want to remind you, you're still here because the other promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The other promise is, you're not going to walk alone through whatever you're going through. I'm going to be right there with you. So let us remember that even though it may seem that God is not fulfilling certain promises in our lives, there are hundreds and maybe even thousands of others that He is fulfilling. Let's get our eyes off of what's not happening and do put our eyes on what He is doing right now. Woo! Now I know none of you have ever been mad at God. But I have. I have. And what I discover, I'm not the only one. Jeremiah the prophet got mad at God. Oh yeah? Look what he told God in Jeremiah 20 verse 7. He said, Oh Lord! You deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. Then he said, you tricked me. He was mad at God. This reminds me of a guy who was shopping at Walmart. An old lady keeps staring at him. Finally, she says, you look so much like my late son. I know it's silly, but if you call out, goodbye, mother, as I leave, it would make me so happy. The guy says, I'll be glad to do it. The old lady proceeds to the checkout, and as she leaves the supermarket, the man calls out, Goodbye, mother. The old lady waved back and walked out the door. He was so pleased with God that he was able to bring happiness to someone else. So he goes up to pay for his groceries. The cashier says, That will be $362. The guy says, $362? Why so much? I only bought a few things. The cashier said, yeah, but your mother said you pay for her too. The guy was deceived. He was tricked. That's how Jeremiah felt in Jeremiah 20. In fact, look at what he said in verse 8, because he was saying to essence to God, you tricked me, I preached what you wanted me to preach, and now I'm locked up. And then in verse 8 he says, I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. The word of the Lord has brought me into insult and reproach. I feel like a fool. I want you to understand about God and Jeremiah is this. God did not promise Jeremiah a favorable response from the people. He was called to preach to. He promised him his presence and victory regardless 
of the response of the people. In Jeremiah chapter 1, we read verse 8 and verses 17 through 19. In the New Living, Jeremiah 1, 8 and verses 17 through 19. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Get up and prepare for action. Go out and tell them everything I tell you to say. Do not be afraid of them, or I will make you look foolish in front of them. For see, today, like an iron pillar or a bronze wall, you will stand against the whole land, the kings, officials, priests, and people of Judah. They will fight you, but they will fail. For I am with you, and I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Keep in mind, Jeremiah was not seeing the response he wanted from his preaching from the people, but nonetheless, God was with him, and God says, I'm going to grant you victory regardless of their response. We need believers today who are not disillusioned to think that everybody's going to be happy when you share the Word of God, that everybody's going to be grateful when you speak the truth and love. No, there will be people that will mock you. There will be people that will turn on you. There will be people that will be upset and call you a hater because you dared enough to tell them the truth in love. But you don't give in and you don't give up. But you stand firm in knowing regardless of how they respond, God is with me and God has said ultimately victory will be mine because anytime you stand with the Word of God, you can stand a knowing that you will have victory at the end. Woo! So sometimes I become offended because the Lord doesn't do for me what He's doing for somebody else. The second reason I can become offended with the Lord is this. Sometimes I become offended because the Lord doesn't do through me what He's doing through someone else. Sometimes I become offended because the Lord doesn't do through me what He's doing through someone else. In the scripture, we have an account in the book of Acts of this very thing. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 24 in the New Living. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 24 in the New Living Translation. The Bible says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. Watch this. For I can see. That you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Now, these terrible things, he said, then he says, Simon exclaimed, pray to me for the Lord that these terrible things that you said won't happen to me. Now, back story. Simon 
had been, before coming to faith in Jesus, a sorcerer. He knew what it was to exercise supernatural dark power. He had been a sorcerer before coming to faith in Christ. How do we know that he came to faith in Christ? Because as you read in the early part of this chapter, you discover that he was baptized because he came to faith in the Lord. But then some time happened and then he saw that Peter and John were being used in a supernatural way. And he was willing to offer them money to have that same power. And then Peter points out what was at the root of his desire. He says, he points out to him, I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy. And why do we become jealous? Because we become offended. We become offended because of what God is doing through another, and he's not doing it through us. We become offended by how God works through another, and is failing to work in the same way through us. We become offended on how God uses somebody else. And maybe even in the same area where we're gifted at. Why isn't he using me that way? Why is God giving them favor? And I have the same kind of position. Why is God giving them a greater platform? When I also am on a platform. We get all these things going on in our head. And we become jealous of what God is doing through another. And it leads to bitterness. And bitterness, the scripture reveals, is like poison. It begins to seep in your soul and drain you of the joy of walking with the Lord. It begins to drain you of the fact that even God would still work through your life regardless of where He found you. No, it, what becomes the, 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 the pursuit of your life is, I want to be like that. I want to be used like that. I want God to work through me like that. In my profession, you know, there's people that, oh, I wish the Lord would work through me as a preacher like Stephen Furtick or T.D. Jakes. And I would respond by saying, do you want Stephen Furtick and T.D. Jakes problems? No, I want the crowd. I want the pop. Yeah, exactly. You can't have one without another. But here's the thing that we need to keep in mind. That even though we may not be gifted as so-and-so, we ought to celebrate what God is doing through them. And at the same time, discovering and developing and deploying the gift God has given us. Because regardless of who we are, God has gifted everyone according to His wisdom, according to His will, according to the way He fashioned and formed us, according to the skill set that He saw best fit to give us. He has gifted every one of us. The Bible says this. In Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Romans 12, 6 through 8. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Notice the scripture reveals God has gifted every one of those in his family to do certain things well. Not all things well. God gives us certain gifts to accomplish certain tasks. But here's the thing that that divides the body of Christ. That divides people in the family of God. Well, why do they get to do it? Maybe because they're gifted in that way and you're not. You just offended me, Pastor. No, I'm telling you the truth. 
Just like preachers. I, I, I live in that realm and people, well, they, you know, they're probably doing this and that. Who cares? But are they producing fruit? Then celebrate it. I'm sick and tired of looking at preachers just going at each other over non-essential things. Really? Or that style, this is the way. No, there is not one style. God works through variety. Yes. God works through individuals based on how he's gifted them. And we ought to celebrate what he's doing. Judges 6.14, God told Gideon this. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. All of us have a strength zone. But all of us have a weakness zone too. And God doesn't call you and I to strengthen our weaknesses per se as much as he calls us to build on our strengths. Now, let me give you an example. Abe, you have an amazing way to go high. And I've tried to reach those octaves. And then I end up ronco, as they say, with a hoarse voice. I could get jealous. I'd say, oh, why? Why did you give him that gift where he can go high? And I try to get up there and... Or I could say, wow, thank you, God, that you've gifted him with that. And thank you, Father, that he's exercising that gift. And thank you that you've given me a middle range. and Help me to operate there and stay there, Lord. Because I know sometimes I get people to look at me, where'd that come from? And they're like, you just threw me off, Pastor. Yeah, I know. He's working on me, Jesus. <laughs> now, let me wrap this up. The Bible reveals cure for the disease of easily offenditis. Here's the cure for the disease of easily offenditis. Watch this. It's in Psalm 119, 165 in the Amplified. Watch this. Great peace have they who love your law. Nothing. Say nothing. Nothing shall offend them or make them stumble. What does nothing mean? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing shall offend them. What is the word revealing? We can live, watch this, with great peace when we renew our minds with what God's word reveals about the troubles and trials of life. We can live with great peace when we renew our minds with what God's word reveals about the troubles and trials of life. What does God's word reveal about the troubles and trials of life? In Job 5.7, Job 5.7, the Bible says, Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And then Jesus said this in John 16, verse 33, in the Amplified. John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be 
of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. So what does the Bible reveal about the troubles and trials of life? If you're breathing and living, expect troubles and trials. But remember that in Christ, your trials lead to triumph. Remember, if you're living and breathing, expect troubles and trials. It's part and parcel of living in this world. But also remember that in Christ, in Christ, your trials are going to lead to triumph. This is why in the face of your trouble and your trial, you don't throw in the towel. You take it, you wipe your brow, you speak to your trouble and trial, you speak to yourself, you remind yourself that what I'm facing now... Jesus already faced when he was here on this earth and he conquered it and now Jesus lives in me and by his spirit I possess the same power that empowered him to overcome this trouble and trial. How do we live with great peace? We renew our minds with what the word reveals about the troubles and trials of life and what does it reveal? James 1-2 My brethren, James 1-2 My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Let's be honest here. How many of you, when trouble comes, when trial comes, you're like, yay! Thank you, Jesus! Woo-hoo, I love it. Trouble trial showed up. Is that what he's saying? No. He's saying calculate it as joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Not because of the trials themselves. But what, because of what they produce. Watch this. The word for trials that he uses there. It's from the noun form in the original language, pirosmos, which is from the Greek verb form parazin. And what is interesting about parazin is this. It was used of a bird testing its wings. A young bird testing its wings in preparation to fly. The implication is this. That the reason why God allows trials and troubles in our lives is not to make us fall, but to make us fly. So I want you to understand, child of God, the devil is lying to you. He's telling you this is for your demise. And God's saying, no, this is for your development. I'm not taking you down. I'm taking you up. You're not going to the ground. You're going to soar in the sky because I've equipped you with the faith and with the strength to rise above your circumstances. We can rejoice in our trials because we know that they are meant to make us fly, not fall. They are meant for our strengthening, not our weakening. They are meant for our purifying, not our destroying. What does the Bible reveal about our troubles and trials? It reveals in 2 Corinthians 4.17. Notice, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working how? Working how? For us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Did you catch it? The Bible reveals that our troubles and trials, they are working for us, not against us. And the Bible says of our troubles and trials, they are a light affliction. 
But sometimes they feel heavy. We feel overpowered. We feel overwhelmed. But the Bible wants us to know what you're going through is temporal. What you're going through is eternal. And what you're going through doesn't compare in weight, in substance, to what you have awaiting you. So I want to say to you, yes, it can feel like it's heavy. Yes, it can feel like it's overwhelming. But God is making sure that it's working for you. And it's leading to a glory, the manifestation of who He is and what He does that will surpass anything that you've gone through in your journey here in life. And here's what the Scripture reveals about our troubles and trials in Romans 8.18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing, say nothing, mm, compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. What does the Bible reveal about the troubles and trials of life? It reveals this, that what you and I are going through doesn't compare to what we're going to. What we are going through doesn't compare to what we are going to. I want to remind us... As children of God, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. The Bible reveals in 1 Peter 2, we are strangers and sojourners in this world. And we need to be like Abraham in Hebrews 11. What did he have his eye on? He had his eye on the builder and the maker of heaven. I want to remind you today that yes, troubles and trials come, but you are more than a temporal being. You are immortal. You are an eternal being. Whatever happens here is working in your favor. Whatever you're dealing with right now, child of God, you stand firm and you hold on and you keep on trusting. You keep on leaning on the Lord because the Lord who died and was buried and rose again, He rose to give you and I eternal life. A joy that is a living hope. It is a bubbling hope. It is a confident expectation that whatever I'm going through here doesn't compare to what I have to go to. That what happens here doesn't compare to what's there awaiting me. Woo! It's my birthday and I can shout if I want to. This is who I am. What do you want to do for your I want to hang with my people. Family. I want to give them encouragement. Like I've gotten it from them. So let me close with the true story of a humble black preacher the inner city of Chicago who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. This account is actually related by another pastor. He was in his late 60s and he had been a minister throughout his adult life. His love for the Lord was so profound that it was reflected in everything he said. When he and his wife were told that he only had a few months to live, they revealed no panic. They quietly asked the doctor, what it all meant. When he had explained the treatment program and what they would anticipate, they politely thanked him for his concern and departed. The cameras followed this little couple to the old car and eavesdropped as they bowed their heads and recommitted themselves to the Lord. In the months that followed, the pastor never lost his poise, nor was he glib about his illness. He was not in denial. He simply had come to terms with the cancer and its probable outcome. He knew the Lord was in control and he refused to be shaken in his faith. The cameras were present on the final Sunday in his church. He actually preached the sermon that morning and he talked openly 
about his impending death. The preacher that shares the account says, To the best of my recollection, this is what he said. Some of you have asked me if I'm mad at God for this disease that has taken over my body. I'll tell you honestly that I have nothing but love in my heart for my Lord. He didn't do this to me. We live in a sinful world where sickness and death are the curse man has brought on himself. And I'm going to a better place where there will be no more tears, no suffering, and no heartache. So don't feel bad for me. Besides, he continued, our Lord suffered and died for our sins. Why should I not share in his suffering? Then he began to sing without accompaniment. In an old broken voice, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No. There's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. This preacher knew that he had a future and a hope in Jesus. I've been raised in church and I've heard a phrase repeated often. No cross, no crown. The book of Revelation says, Be faithful unto death. And you will receive the crown of life. You see, what we go through as far as pain here is not without an attached promise and prize. Woo! Say, Pastor, you're crazy. No, I'm biblical. I know. I've been at the bedside of believers and just couldn't believe the peace that they had. But now I know why. They knew this isn't it. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Why? So that you can be there with me. This is our hope. And it's Christ in us that gives us that hope. So I want to encourage us today. Let us, on the daily, renew our mind with what His Word reveals about the trials and troubles of life so that we do not become victims as well as enslaved by offense. Because here's the reality. We've been sharing it throughout this series. Jesus promised offenses are going to come. But today I want to challenge you. Tell offense. Shut the front door. Because you've got no room here. Tell offense. Uh-uh. There's no leasing here. There's no renting here. This life has been paid for in full by the one who is my hope and my help. And I know through him, regardless of what comes, I triumph. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. 
We thank you for the encouragement and the hope that your scriptures bring to our lives. They bring encouragement. They bring comfort. They bring hope. I thank you, Father, for revealing how we can live unoffended lives through renewing our minds through the truths that your word reveals about the troubles and trials of life through choosing through appropriation and application of your principles, precepts and promises to our lives we can overcome the offenses that come we don't have to take them can leave them through your power and your grace. I pray right now, Heavenly Father, for those in this building as well as those online who are dealing with trouble and trial in their lives and they are aware, I need the help of the Lord to navigate through what I'm going through right now. And I need the insight from God's Word to light my path so that I can be overcoming which is truly what his word reveals is his will for my life I thank you Lord that you're here by your spirit to seal what has been sown in our lives I pray right now that you would come by your Holy Spirit and touch hearts that need the assurance that you're with them during this time in their lives. I pray, God, that we would be open and honest if there's offense in us to deal with it, to know that through you we can overcome it. So I'm going to make this call right now to this altar, just like I did in cover. You're here today. You say, Pastor Angel, I need God's help right now in my life. I don't want to live offended. I don't want to live offended and also become a slave to offense. I want to live in the freedom the Lord makes available. I want to have His peace guard my heart and mind. And I want to be able to navigate through what I'm going through in my life right now. With His strength and His help and His guidance. That's you. I want to invite you right now to this front area. We call it the altar. This is a place. This is a safe place. It's a no-shame zone. It's a place where you can meet with God. And there's prayer warriors that will join me in praying for you. Because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God is able. We believe He's able. You need His help. And you know it. You want His help. You come right now. As the PW crew sings, I want to invite you those of you that this word has spoken to you and you want for God to seal it in your heart you come right now thank you Jesus